Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Today, Pastor Jason continues his walk through the book of Acts in this part 30. Turn to Acts chapter 8, we're in verses 9 through 17. And today, Pastor Jason is talking about the salvation of the Samaritans. Here's Jason. This morning, we are going back to the book of Acts. We have taken a little bit of of a break from the book of Acts. A couple weeks here in order to prepare our hearts to get ready for Resurrection Day and to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And now I thought, okay, as we turn back to chapter 8 of the book of Acts, it would probably help us all to do a a quick little run by of what we have already seen in the book of Acts to pin the context as to exactly what has happened and as Christ continues to build his church throughout the book of Acts and chapter one we saw the ascension of Christ we saw the replacement for Judas Iscariot we heard Jesus telling the apostles as well as the disciples stay here and wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the, for the coming of the Helper, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 2, we saw the fulfillment of that. That on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and Christ's church was born. And 3,000 came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit came in power as well. And we saw that then that started a a time of of great ongoing fellowship among the body, right? And they gathered together for a time in the Word, for a time of prayer, for a time of remembrance of the Lord. And as they went out, they continued to proclaim the Gospel. And then in chapter 3, we saw the paralyzed man and how he was healed and how that gave an opportunity for for Peter to preach. And then yet... For all the excitement that was happening with the preaching of the word, we saw the, the Sanhedrin and, and the Jewish leaders raise up in opposition to the church. And yet they weren't beaten or anything like that at that time. They were just told, do not preach in this name again. And of course, that was not the case. That did not stop them. They continued to preach. And then we saw in chapter 5 that this church in Jerusalem, Christ's church, although it was growing and and there were so many exciting things happening and that they they were a a body that was so united, we saw sin enter the church in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. And yet that didn't stop the spreading of the gospel. That didn't stop the meeting of the believers. The Lord dealt with that sin and they continued to grow and to grow. And then we saw in chapter 6 the choosing of the seven in order so that the apostles could spend their time in prayer and time in the Word of God. And one of those men that that was chosen was Stephen. And we saw in chapter 7 that he was an evangelist and he was preaching the Word. 
And yet as he preached the word, opposition became stronger and stronger towards him that finally they picked up stones and and they killed him. They murdered him. And we saw that a man was there during that time, and that was Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. But before he becomes the Apostle Paul, he was tormenting the church. And literally it was by his hand that this great big persecution began. And we saw that the number two man mentioned in Acts chapter 6, Philip, then was sent to Samaria. And we saw in the, in the first eight verses that the Samaritans received the word with eagerness. And they were excited about the word of the Lord, the word about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we are going to see today is a further story kind of wrapping everything up in the salvation of the Samaritans that they indeed are saved, that the joy that we see them rejoicing in, in verse 8 of chapter 8, was a, a joy that was based upon the salvation that they would profess faith in Christ that they received from Christ. But before going on to explain how the Samaritans believed and how they are baptized, and then even later, how the apostles come and lay hands upon them and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Before all of that, Luke spends a little bit of time going back into the past of the Samaritans. And he spent some time depicting a certain man that that was in Samaria and having an influence on the Samaritans long before Philip showed up with the gospel of Christ. And this man's name is is Simon, and that's who we're going to see today. But but really what, what is presented to us are, I believe, two stories of how the gospel is received here. And on the one hand, you, we have the story of, of Simon, which, which everybody always wants to spend time on and, and, and center on. And I don't want us to miss the other story, which is the story of the Samaritans, which I believe is, is a real true picture of salvation in Christ, that they do indeed believe. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this up into two weeks. And this week, we're going to look at the salvation of the Samaritans. And next week, we're going to look at the supposed salvation of Simon, the sorcerer. For one is a a picture of, of how to receive by faith salvation granted by the Lord. And I believe the other one is a false picture of someone who does not truly have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that'll be next week. So turn with me to to Acts chapter 8 if you're not there yet. And we're going to look at verses 9 to 17 this morning. 9 to 17, which read this. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. 
And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Simon had received the word of God, they, that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we acknowledge this morning once again that we need Your help in order to accurately understand Your Word. We pray that You would allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate Your wonderful Word. That we would truly grasp the significance of what You are communicating in Your Word. That You would lay me aside. And that You would be the one that receives all the the praise and the adoration. And that Your Word would be made so clear that it's evident that You are the one teaching We thank you for this time that we get to gather in your house to exalt you, to open up your word and allow your word to inform our minds, to transform our minds. So go before us now in Jesus name. Amen. So you'll notice in your bulletin that you you have an outline there and and I know as, as, as you're going to look at this, you're going to say, well, Pastor Jason, that's awfully simple. And really what it is, is anybody's salvation simple? Is, is anything, when it comes to the salvation of a soul, simple or easy? No, I think what we are going to see today is, is this is a miraculous work of God. As first, what we're going to see is, is we're going to see that That they are astonished by magic. We're going to see the past. We're going to take a look back at the Samaritans and where the Lord takes them from. What they were steeped in. What they were all about. And we'll see that clearly in verses 9 and 11. Then we will see in verse 12 that they definitely believed the Word of God. And then finally we're going to see something that seems a little bit out of place. For normally this isn't the way that it works. We're going to see after they believe that they received the Holy Spirit. But in order for us to truly understand the significance behind their salvation, first we have to understand that they were astonished by magic. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. So Luke gives us a flashback. Before Philip comes, there's this man, Simon. And he comes, and, and, and what does he do? He, he dazzles them with his magic in such a way that, that it astonishes the people. But we notice that there's two things mentioned. First here, that, that Simon himself is claiming to be great. And we'll get into Simon more next week, but recognize that not only does Simon say that he's great, 
But the Samaritans believe him. Because they say that he is great. And what's really important here is for us to recognize who the Samaritans are. And as I said earlier, they they do trace their roots back to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. And they have many things in common and some things that are not in common and, and, and that are causing great strife between these two peoples, right? That although they believe in the Old Testament, they only believe in the Pentateuch. And that although they worship Yahweh, they don't worship Yahweh in Jerusalem at that temple. They've constructed their own in a place called Gerizim. But along with that, they, they also brought in other beliefs. So it's not just that they're a mixed culture geographically. They're a mixed culture, a mixed culture spiritually. And what they do is they, they take magic and they add that together with their religious belief system. And as a result, they are pulled into this. And what we see is, they say this about this man, Simon. It says that they were giving attention to him, saying that this man is what is called the great power of God. That The ESV translates this verse like this. This man is the power of God that is called great. Notice here that popular opinion accepted what Simon apparently claimed for himself. That Simon in in, in some way is claiming to be a divine man. But recognize he's not saying that his power is coming purely from Satan. That's not what they're construing from this. They actually believe that his power is coming from God. And so they syncretize their beliefs in, in, in this whole power scheme and magic with their view of who God is. And then notice this as well. It's not just some small minority group in Samaria that that actually believes like this. It says that all, the whole city was saying this about him and the whole city was astonished by him. Everyone was convinced how great he was. And I don't believe that, that, that in America we fully grasp the significance of that kind of statement and that we fully grasp the significance of, of magic, of witchcraft and that kind of thing. Right? Because, because here it's not, it's not out in the front. It's not something everybody does. It's not something everybody talks about. But again, if I brought you to Papua New Guinea and you spent any kind of time with our people the people that we used to work with in that village, you would see that from the time they're this little, they are brought up in in the ways of magic. And so everything that they do is, is touched by this aspect of magic. And I believe that that is what's going on here in Samaria. That they're being pulled along by this. They're being indoctrinated. They're being taught. And we see this, look in in, in verse 11, just how far-reaching this is. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. So we see first the, the time. This wasn't just something that just happened yesterday. He had for a long time been indoctrinating them, been teaching them, been doing all of this magical stuff. 
And when we talk about magic, we're, we're talking about chants and incantations and those kinds of things. That's what this man Simon was doing. But notice how, how it characterizes them. It says that they were giving him attention. This is not the first time we've seen this verb in chapter 8. Even though we're only at verse 11, we've seen this verb now three times. The first time that we saw it was several weeks ago when we looked at the, the preaching of Philip. And we saw that the way that the Samaritans responded. Do you remember? Verse 6, it says, they were giving attention to what was being said. They were focusing on what he was saying. And then we saw in verse 10 that I just read that all from smallest to greatest were what they were giving attention to what Simon was doing. And this word, it it can mean give attention. It can mean to pay heed to. But it can also mean even more to follow. And I believe that's what's being contrasted here. That's what's being shown what is in competition. It's a competition for conversion. It's a competition for allegiance. It's a competition for following. Up to this point, who are they followers of? They are followers of Satan. They are followers of Simon. He is pulling them along and they are taking everything, hook, land, and sinker, and going with it. And what's even crazier is they think that they are following God when indeed they are not. Because they believe that, that, that since Simon has the spiritual power, that spiritual power must come from God. This is what separates them from, from the people group that we worked with in Papua New Guinea. They didn't believe that that power came from God. They didn't know where that power came from. And the more that we taught, the more they understood, oh my, that power is coming from Satan. The, this word, magic, that, that we see now used two times referring to Simon. Just in in these short verses here. In the Greek, it's magi. It's it's the word where we get the magi from. So if we went to Matthew chapter 2 and we saw the the three wise men, that's what it's talking about. But here it's, it's used in a negative way. It's the practicing of magic or anyone who has been a deceiver or a seducer of someone. Someone possessing supernatural knowledge and ability. It's not just the idea that all he's doing are doing these miracles and outward manifestations of his power. He's teaching, he's indoctrinating them as well. He's deceiving them. And so what the Lord is doing here is, is huge. Why? Because he's taking them from, from being these, honestly, Satan worshipers. They don't know it, but that's who they're worshiping. And now what is he going to do? He, he's going to save them. And that's what happens next. For even though the Samaritans are, are completely oppressed and they, are, and they are deceived and they are pulled and they are astonished by, by what is going on and giving attention to this man, Simon. We know in, in verse 12 that what? They believed the Word. That is an act of God to allow them to go from this to this. To see this and to understand that they would look at what it says in what it says in verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. We see first the the contrast. They were this before, but now they are this. 
Before they were in bondage to Satan, they were in bondage to this man Simon. They were following him. But when the gospel came, what happened? They believed. Believe here is to consider something to be true, to be convinced of, to rely on, to trust in entirely. In, in Papua New Guinea, the, the way that our people would say this is, with, with one true and only thinking to believe that is true, or to say that is true. But we have to ask ourselves, what were they believing is true? And the text tells us. It's very explicit. Are they believing in Philip? Are they believing that Philip has this great power just as Simon did? Or does? Is that, is that what the word says? No, it says they are believing in something. The preaching about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And how does he characterize that? He characterizes it as good news. So what do they believe? They don't believe in Philip. They believe in the Christ that Philip is proclaiming. And he shares the, the two main themes of, of what Philip's preaching was all about. On the one hand, it's all about the name of Jesus Christ. And for you and I, we don't get that. When you talk about someone's name, it doesn't usually include the totality of who that person is. It's just a name. But for them, it's different. It included the totality of who Jesus Christ is. That He is indeed the Messiah. And that's what it's pointing to. That they are believing that He is the Messiah. But not just that. They are believing that He is going to bring the kingdom of God. That Jesus will one day usher in His eternal kingdom. And He will reign supremely as the sovereign King over all. And this is exactly what Jesus preached. If we were to go through the book of Luke, we'd see Jesus preaching on this in chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 10. And we don't have to go back too far in, in Acts to see that this is what the apostles were preaching. That this is what Jesus even talked about earlier in Acts chapter 1 with His apostles. And they thought, oh, are you going to bring in the kingdom now? Why? Because that is what made sense. And here's the thing. One day, Jesus will bring His kingdom. And either you will be on the wrong side or you will be on the right side. And only those who have trusted in Christ for salvation will be on God's side. And this is the message that Philip is proclaiming. This is the message that they believe. And as a result of their belief, what happens? as an evidence of their belief, of their faith, they are baptized. This word literally means to hold under, to plunge, to dip. That's why we don't sprinkle. Not just because we're Baptists, but because this is what God's Word communicates. That's what the Greek means. To sprinkle doesn't communicate all that happens when someone comes to faith and salvation in Christ, right? That doesn't communicate that you are dead. Last week when we saw all those wonderful baptisms, whenever somebody was placed under the water, what's the significance? You're dead. That's what that's supposed to represent. And the coming out of the water, you are now alive. That's what they did. And in the Greek, it's, it's even more. It, it gives the idea that this happened almost right away. 
That they just recognize, okay, yes, I believe. Okay, yes, I'm ready to be baptized. Let's do it. I want everyone to know that, yes, I believe this. And whereas I used to believe this, now I believe only in Him. And I'm going to follow Him. But notice the order here as well. What precedes what? Is it baptism first, then faith in Christ? No. Faith always precedes baptism. Faith always comes first. Why? So that no one will think that baptism will save you. Lots of people think that that will happen, but that is not the case. Even in Papua New Guinea, at a hospital that we used to go to in order to look after the the people from our village, there was some weird understanding that the water, the the water of the sea really close to, to that particular hospital had some sort of special magical powers. That if you could just take somebody and, and dunk them in that water, that it would save them. No, if that's what it is, it's a bath. If you have not placed faith in Christ, that's all a baptism is. It's a bath with a whole bunch of people watching. It doesn't save you. And faith always precedes baptism. What saves you? Christ saves you. Amen? Now, if there's any time where you should say amen, you should say amen. What is baptism? Is it wonderful? Is it beautiful? Are you kidding? I love that last week. It's a response in obedience to what Christ has commanded. It is an outward picture of an inward reality. You are saved. How do people know that? People know that because the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we can see it and there's bells and whistles. No, people know it because you stand up in public profession and say, yes, I am with him. I will follow him. I want you to hold me accountable. It's a beautiful thing, but it's not something that saves you. But think about this with me for a moment. No doubt as Simon is watching all of this, and he's seeing these people that have been following him and have just been entranced with his power, and now he sees this other power. And he sees these followers of him following Philip and now professing faith in Christ. What's Simon's reaction? Well, I believe Simon isn't dumb. He recognizes, oh man, either I join these people or I stand up in complete defiance to what they're doing. And I know that my power doesn't compete with that power. In fact, man, I I, I wonder if I could get some of that power. And so what does he do? He says, well, if I can't beat them, I'm going to join them. And so look at what it says in, in verse 13. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Okay, Pastor Jason. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Didn't it just say that Simon believed? Oh, are you going to tell me that in the Greek that's a different word? It's not pisteuo, the, the, the word that is always used for talking about somebody putting their faith in Christ, believing in Christ for salvation. And I would say, no, it's the same word. And I, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to, what, what you would say, steal all my thunder for next week. <laughs> but just think of this. Notice what it doesn't say. Notice it doesn't tell us what the object of his faith is. 
You see, when it depicted the rest of the Samaritans back in, in verse 12, they were believing Philip's preaching about Christ and the kingdom. Isn't it interesting that when it tells us uh, about Simon, it doesn't tell us. It just gives this blank statement. He believed. What was he believing? I believe that he had faith that he could get that power. And I believe that's what we're going to see as we unpack this next week and look at it. And then interestingly enough, the focus goes off of Simon, even off of Philip now. And we see this transition happening. And all of a sudden the focus goes whoop, back into Jerusalem. It goes back on to the apostles. We haven't seen anything or heard anything about the apostles since back in chapter 6. And yet we're going to see that the apostles play an important role here, even in the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 14 and 15. And when you see the word now, it's, it's telling us the transition is happening. He's going away from what he was just talking about, about Simon, and now he's, he's talking about something else. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So we don't know exactly what has happened. It doesn't say that someone came, some messenger, and told them exactly what had happened in Samaria. And so that's why they, decide, why they decide to go to Samaria. But something must have been communicated to the church in Jerusalem to such an extent that, that they decide, oh my, we need to send somebody to them. But notice who they send. If this were not important, I do not believe they would choose the, the two most prominent apostles that we have seen in the book of Acts up to this point. Right? Who have we seen over and over again up to this point? We have seen Peter and John. And granted, John doesn't do much talking, but he's always there. And from this point on, we won't see anything of John. We won't hear of him again. Peter will continue to see up through the end of chapter 12, and then it becomes all Paul. Is there significance in who they are sending? Yes, there is. Because they needed to be eyewitnesses. They needed to be testifiers to what has happened in Samaria. And so that's why they send them. Because Christ recognizes what's at stake here. And what is at stake here is the unity of the church. Because what could happen, knowing the history between these two groups, this could be a really large division. This could be a schism in the church. And what does Christ want to communicate? He wants to communicate that there is one body with one spirit. And the Samaritans are now grafted in, just as much as the Jews are. And that doesn't make any sense. And if all they did was hear about that, they may not think it was true. So what does Christ do? He sends John and Peter there to validate what is happening. And then He tells us even more. Look at verse 16. As to why they are going. For, they, for He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That, that word simply is important. It could be translated as only. 
meaning that they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What is it communicating? They had only been baptized with water. That's all that had happened to them up to this point. They had not been baptized into the Spirit yet. And the fact that it says simply also communicates to us that we know that that's just, there's something that's kind of odd. Right? This isn't the way that it normally works. Normally, salvation and the giving of the Holy Spirit go hand in hand at the same time. Why is this different? Again, I believe it's different because of what could have been. What could have been so detrimental to the church? That could have just been a driving wedge in the church. That you have the Sumerian believers over here and you have the Jewish believers over here never to commune one with another. That isn't what Christ's purpose is in His church. And so He goes after it just as He went after Ananias and Sapphira. He's doing the same thing now. And it's significant. Why? Because the gospel, the church is now going out much further than Jerusalem. It's going to a whole new people. I think even the fact that they send Peter and John to check up on what is happening is significant. Why? Because we didn't see that in the first six verses of chapter 8. And when, and when we finish chapter 8 next week and we see the Ethiopian and how he gets saved, Philip doesn't say, oh, wait, stop. Before you keep going back home, we need to have some apostles come here because they want to be in control of everything. And they need to see you. They need to hear you testify. And then they need to baptize you. They need to do this. They need to lay hands on We, we, we don't see any of that. Why? Because that's a different situation. And, and to a certain extent, what is happening here is for the Samaritans. And, and this is a step closer to the gospel going to the Gentiles. But we need to ask ourselves, so, so why are these guys coming to Samaria? Are they coming to solve some sort of problem? To correct some sort of misunderstanding. No, they're, they're coming because they heard they'd been saved. And yet, as they arrive, they, they now perceive that, that something is kind of askew. Something's a little bit off with the situation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. And so the, the apostles are sent to validate and to verify what is going on. And, the, and then to do something rather strange. To lay hands upon them so that the Holy Spirit would come. Look at verse 17. So after we hear that He had not come upon them, then we hear how He does come upon them. Then they began... Who? The the apostles. Peter and John began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. You might ask, is there any significance with the laying on of hands? And I would say yes and no. As we look at the Old Testament, are there, are there places where we could see, oh yes, the laying on of hands is significant. And I would say yes, most definitely. We, we can go to some passages where the laying on of hands is a negative thing. You don't want somebody to do this to you. Why? Because it means they want to kill you. And that obviously is not what's going on here. We, we see a more spiritual ceremonial significance to the laying on of hands in other places in the Old Testament. 
such as when the, when the high priest on the day of, of atonement in Leviticus 16, when he comes forward, what does he do? He's representing all of the nation of Israel and all of their collective sins. And he's wanting to transfer those sins from him who, who he is the representative for the entire nation. He wants to transfer those off of himself onto this animal that he's going to sacrifice. How does he do it? He does it by placing both his hands on that animal. So is that what's going on here? No. There's other cases, such as Numbers 27, verse 18, where, where when someone is going to be identified as a new leader, what do they do? The commissioning of that leader looks like somebody places their hand on them. And God tells Moses, okay, in order for everyone to know that Joshua is taking over for you, I want you to get in front of the whole nation and I want you to lay your hand on him. And then everyone will know that you, that he is now the leader. Very similar to what we saw in Acts chapter 6 with the commissioning of the seven. But is that what's going on here? No. We could look at the life of Jesus and we could see that there's places where he places his hand on people in order to heal them. Is that what's going on here? No. Other times he's given a blessing. Is that what's going on here? Well, yes and no. So, Pastor Jason, what is going on here? I believe the apostles are showing a common fellowship, an agreement, and a unity with the Samaritan believers to let them know that there is one body and one spirit. And so why had the Holy Spirit not come upon any of them yet? Because normally what happens? The Holy Spirit baptizes, seals, and indwells believers instantly at the time of salvation. But here, that is not happening. And we know earlier from Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 39, that it says that, that when someone repents and someone is baptized, that they will receive the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it's because something is deficient in the faith of the Samaritans. There's something lacking. Maybe it's Philip's preaching. No, we've seen Philip's preaching. We know it's solid. Maybe it was the attentiveness of the Samaritans. No, we know that they paid incredible attention and that that attention they were given is commendable. Perhaps it was their response. No, their response is genuine. Was it because there's no apostle present and you always have to have an apostle present? No, we'll see other passages that there's no apostle present and that particular person gets the Holy Spirit. Even with Ananias, we'll see in the next chapter. With Paul. So it's not because of that. Was it this? Was it because they they needed the Spirit in a fuller sense? You know, many people would talk about this being the second filling of the Holy Spirit. In order for them to experience more and full the charismatic gifts. This is, yes, this is what this is talking about. And, and what would I say to that? No, no, no. Why? Because that is not what this is talking about. Remember what this is definitely, clearly said in verse 16. He had not, who is the he? It's referring back to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them yet. This isn't some second filling because they have never been filled yet. They do not have the Holy Spirit yet. So that this is not some sort of sense of them getting more power so they can do some specific mission. 
This is them receiving the Holy Spirit with the apostles present so that the apostles can then take that word, that testimony back to Jerusalem and let them know they're good. They are one of us. And this will pave the way for when the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And we'll see this in in, in chapter 10. Why? Because God is interested in making sure that, that His church, Christ's church, is a unified church. But isn't it interesting as, as you, you think through all of this that it seems that Philip's work in Samaria is incomplete until Peter and John show up. Until they pray for the Holy Spirit to come to them. And this then will pave the way for the gospel going to the Gentiles. So are we supposed to look at the book of Acts as, as giving us our doctrine and our understanding for every way that the Spirit of God functions? No. Why? Because the book of Acts is all over the map on exactly the way the Holy Spirit is functioning. We're, we're going to see in chapter 10, when the Gentiles are saved, they don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit. It comes right away. So you'd have to flip and flop, flip and flop. Sometimes the Holy Spirit waits. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes right away. So I don't know. Let's flip a coin. No, that, that, that isn't what God's Word communicates. What God's Word communicates is that the book of Acts is revealing to us that Christ is building His church. Block by block. Stone by stone. And this is happening in this transitional this transitional time where the apostles are are alive. Today, how do things function? Today things function at at the moment of salvation. A believer receives the Holy Spirit. We know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We know this from Romans 8, 9. It, It says that if someone does not have the Holy Spirit, they are not a believer. So can we look at these guys before? No. Can we look? Well, we'd have to go back to chapter 2. With, with the apostles and the church there, right? Before the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Well, they must not have been believers. No, we know they're believers. So we know what is, what is going on is that the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. Meaning it doesn't give us a, a prescription like when you go to the doctor and he tells you, okay, I want you to take this medicine. I want you to take it this many times a day. You need to take it on an empty stomach or on a full stomach and dot, 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 dot. The, the book of Acts isn't telling us exactly the way every church should function. It isn't telling us exactly the way every time somebody's saved, this is what's going to happen. That's what the epistles are for. And that's why we go to the epistles to, to get a, a better understanding. So today, what, what have we seen? We, we've clearly seen that salvation has come to the Samaritans. And for this, we should rejoice. Why? Because God had taken them out of the bondage that they were in, being astonished by magic, being pulled following the Simon man. And as the truth of the gospel comes in, they believe, they're baptized. And then because of the church of Christ spreading to a new location, to a new people that could actually have been divisive and created division in the church. Christ waited to send the Holy Spirit to them until the apostles were there. Okay, some thoughts for us to take with us this week and just consider. 
Number one, consider how the Samaritans wrongly assumed that because Simon had real spiritual power, that it must be from God, but that that simply was not the case. Simon's power came from Satan. How might Satan still be captivating people today and masquerading as an angel of light? For I believe he does that often. Number two, consider how the Holy Spirit did not come upon the Samaritans immediately at conversion. Does this still happen today? And I would say most emphatically, no. The normal practice is for the Holy Spirit to immediately come at conversion. But for you, how has the Holy Spirit been manifested in your life? Can others see the Holy Spirit present in your life by the way that you live your life? Not that all of a sudden you could speak in tongues or this or that, but can someone see the evidence of the fruit in your life because the Holy Spirit is residing in you as a believer? Let me close our time in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for stories like Simon and the Samaritans, Lord, that aren't some made-up story, but they are true historical facts that these were people that lived. This was a man that that had power from Satan. The enemy of your children who desires our destruction. Be with us as we go from here. Allow us to be led by your Spirit, to walk by your Spirit, and to be confident that we are filled and indwelled by your Spirit. For your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.